All right. Good morning. The reason I did not mingle and mix, shake hands and do a lot of hugging is because I've had a bad head cold. Is that me? Since, no, it's not me. Since Wednesday, I didn't want to give it to y'all because somebody, some of y'all gave it to me. So I want to keep it going. Anyway, if you're a guest today, please fill out the registration portion, rip it off. Please put it in the offering plate. Let us know that you were with us today as a guest. We would appreciate that a lot. On the inside of the first page, um, we're beginning to announce our it's only five, it's a big meal. Sonny's will cater it. Five dollars for the one meal, twenty maximum for the family. Okay. So um, anyway, and then we'll have games and things like that, just for the church family to get together once in a while. Um, and then, of course, reading on the backside next Sunday, our food drive that we collect non-perishables. For people that need it in the area, we take it to Daystar, and they will distribute that. Um, I made it through the first service with my voice. I'm praying that I can do it in the second service. And um, anyway, so I'll, I'll just be um, lip syncing the words up here today. Let's stand and welcome somebody around you to church. There's revival and it's spreading like a wildfire in my heart. Sunday morning, hallelujah, and it's lasting all week long. Can you hear it? Can you feel it? It's the rhythm of the gospel song. Once you choose. Tears are just be tears falling down. 
down my face This hurt will just be hurt With no healing on the way Thank you, Jesus Heaven changes everything A goodbye would be a goodbye With no I'll see you again And when life is over That would simply be the end Thank you, Jesus Changes
so thankful, Jesus, 
that you paid the debt we, could not owe, we couldn't pay. We owed it and we couldn't pay it. That price was paid for us and we thank you and we praise you this morning. We give you our worship. We give you everything we have because you're, deser- you're deserving of all of it. God, this morning as we give our tithes and offerings, God, may you use it to bless it. May you use it to further your kingdom and your glory so that others may know you. We pray these things in your precious son's name. Amen. First Corinthians. We've covered the first four chapters, and now we're at a chapter to where, to be honest with you, we pastors would just like to say, let's go to chapter six. And if you read chapter five, and by the way, I know it's not right to be publicly speaking and have something in your mouth, but I have to have this Ricola, I gotta have it. Um, hopefully that I'll be able to even finish the message. Uh, came back close to losing it in the first service. But anyway, um, the truth is this is hard, and I don't want to cover it. Um, most pastors don't want to cover it, but we can't gloss over or pass over things that we don't like. We can't be a cafeteria Christian where we pick and choose what we like. This is one of those things where you would rather just skip it and go on. But there's a reason, you know, the Bible says all scripture is given by God and is profitable for instruction, for uh, judgment, for righteousness. So I don't know to what intent. I thank God that in 43 years now of ministry, public ministry, I've never had to deal with anything like this that we're going to talk about. There's been other issues, a few that were blatant, not many, really. Uh, You would think in our society today you would, but not many. So if you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 1, you'll know then why the title is, He's Doing What? And let's read that. It is actually reported, your translation may say commonly. That's probably the better word. It is commonly reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Welcome to church this morning. If you're a guest, you haven't been here very long, part of me wants to apologize. You know, uh, you you couldn't have picked a weirder Sunday 
probably to come, but if you stay here long enough, you'll know that we believe the Bible is the Word of God, and we don't um, make excuses for not preaching things that we don't like. So, and by the way, I should probably acknowledge that this subject matter is, um, as you can see from the first verse, has some like adult themes. Now listen, I'm not going to be explicit. The adult nature of this is going to be in the background. In fact, you've already had it, the first verse. That's as bad as it's going to get. But if you think that your child shouldn't be in here, then our we have an excellent children and nursery ministry out this way. They would love to come out and they could tell by the look on your face what they need to do. So anyway, this passage, and I want you to hear this because this is vital to understanding this. The focus of this passage is not on what this guy is doing. It's on how the church is responding to what this guy is doing. Do we have that? that that's vital to know. Now, if I had 11 or 12 year old, I'd leave them in here. Um, so, you know, I don't think you need to worry about things getting too explicit. Now, if you remember from the first week, we saw that there were five major sections in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And the first four church dealt with what? Well, get your notes out from two weeks ago. Let's, let's start over. Division. Divisions in the church. Now, in chapter 5, Paul is starting to address some confusion regarding sex in the church. Now, Corinth, you may recall, was a very notoriously immoral city. It was, I'll tell you more about that in a, a, some sermons to come. But it was situated on this isthmus between two ports, and they were, they were unbelievably popular. It made Corinth an economic power, as well as a destination for young, upwardly mobile people from all over the empire poured into Corinth. Now, so you could see then that these upward mobile young people brought with them the upward young mobile, mobile problems that they were dealing with. So sexual immorality was a problem. Plus, I told you, this city of Corinth boasted dozens and dozens of temples to the god of the gods of Greece to the gods of Rome and believe it or not part of the worship in these temples involved prostitution one in particular a temple to the goddess Aphrodite had 1000 prostitutes just in that one temple the point is that sexual immorality was all around them. And so on one level, it is not surprising that they were having to deal with this in the church. But this immorality that they're dealing with, Paul said, goes beyond even what the pagans in these temples are doing. Are you with me on that? Verse 1, let's read it again. The kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles, a man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, his father's wife, let's be honest for a moment, it's one of two things. It's either a stepmom or his mom. Only, only two options. And most, I believe, like most conservative scholars, that it was his stepmom because Paul uses these words, his father's wife and not his mom. Does that make sense? Okay. Either way, 
if you got someone that you call mom, you ought not be inviting her to the prom. You got that? And the words there, the phrase, is sleeping with, is in the present continual tense, which means it was an ongoing thing. Are you okay? You got that now? All right. Now, folks, don't, don't glamorize the early church. Oh, if we could just go back to how it used to be. Man, the early church, I bet they didn't have the problems and all the things that we deal with. Well, to my knowledge, Gulf the Lake has never had to deal with this one. There's been a few others, but not this one. And this kind of debauchery, Paul says, is not even tolerated among the pagans. I mean, think about it. You know it's bad if there were something going on in our church and people outside who don't even know the Lord are saying, man, that's just wrong. And that's what's going on here. But rather than mourning over it, Paul says in verse 2, and you are what? Arrogant. See, this is getting to be a problem. You're arrogant. Well, why weren't they dealing with it? Well, there might have been a few that thought, hey, Paul, this is Corinth, man. You know what it's like here to each his own, uh, you know, and, and, and we're not going to judge what happens in Corinth. Stays in Corinth. So who are we? There may even have been some who were like, hey, wait a minute, Paul. You said that Jesus freed us from the law. So that must mean he freed us to love in whatever way seems best to us. That's where we're at in American society today. Trying to choose things that are even immoral. Paul seems to address both of these groups in his explanation. But it, it seems to me as I read this, that the way Paul is speaking to them assumes that most people in the church knew what was going on and knew it was wrong. It's commonly reported, he said. And Paul knew that they knew it was wrong, right? Okay. And so the reason that they weren't dealing with it is because probably the reason churches today wouldn't want to deal with something like this. It would create talk. It would create a scandal. It would give the church a black eye. And Paul says, and you're arrogant about this. And I know you're arrogant. You don't want to go through it because folks, let me tell you something. I've never been through anything like this, but in 43 years, there's been things that we've had to deal with out in Colorado and here a few times. Thank God, almost negligible compared to how many years we've been here. But I'm going to tell you something. These kinds of situations can get messy. Agreed? And usually when you confront people like this, they get offended and they get mad and leave. That's the number one option that they have. But, you know, it's not like, hey, really? We're doing something wrong. Hey, mom, did you know, you know, that's not what it is. No, likely this guy would be offended and would probably make a scene. He may have been a prominent figure. He may have given a lot of money to the church. And so the church is thinking, hey, just leave well enough alone. Don't poke a hornet's nest. It's easier to just leave it alone. How many of you ever had that in your own life? something in your own family or something. Hey, just don't mess with it. Don't go there. Leave it alone. Someone's doing something in your family that you know is destroying them, but you don't want to approach it. You don't want to deal with it. So Paul says in verse two, ought you not rather to do what? Mourn. Instead of being arrogant, you should be mourning about it. Do you know what the word of the, the word there mourn means it's the same word they use when talking about what you do at a funeral of somebody you really loved. You're mourning for them. You're weeping for them like they died. He says, guys, look, sin is destroying 
people at your church. So fill in your blank, mourn over that. You should mourn over that behavior. So then Paul says in verse three, are you with me still? Is any of this making sense? All right. Let him who has done this, you say it out loud, be removed from you now. Whoa. Wait a minute, pastor. Kick somebody out of church? Yeah. I want you to write some things down. See, I knew it'd get quiet. I want you to write some things down. Pastor, what about unconditional love and acceptance? What about that? You, you preach about that. That's true. We are called to unconditional love. But our fellowship is conditional. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ right now, does God love you unconditionally? Yes. But can you live any way you want to and be in fellowship with him? No, you cannot. And that's what he's trying to say here. A lot of people don't understand this, and I, I think I'm going to make it a whole message one day. There is the forgiveness of salvation, and there's the forgiveness of fellowship with the Lord. Because as, as one man said to me not more than a year ago, well, pastor, I think you preachers, meaning me and all these others, I think you're preaching something wrong because you told us that if we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of our sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. So if I sin now, why do I need to ask for forgiveness? Sounds logical, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's all forgiven. So why should I even bother? Because they don't understand. There is un the unconditional forgiveness of God through his son, Jesus Christ. But there's also the fellowship forgiveness. That's why you go to him every day. I go to him every day. Lord, forgive me you know, for anything I've said, thought, or done. That is the fellowship forgiveness. And that, that is what we are, Paul is saying, that that has to be broken at some point. I want you to write this down. Yes, we are an open and accepting community of believers, but our primary calling is to be representatives of Jesus Christ. Are you still with me? Jesus welcomed into his family people with all kinds of problems. Did you know that? And from all kind of tragic and broken backgrounds, the man that wrote what we just read was himself a murderer in his past. There was a woman named Mary Magdalene, followed him everywhere he went. She was a former prostitute. But please don't miss this. This is what the church of the living God needs to hear today. People in the church need to hear this today. Any person like that that you saw in the Bible, the one thing that they had in common, they had come to a place of repentance. They came to a point of repentance where they recognized what they were doing is wrong, that Jesus is Lord and his way is the right way. Yes, Jesus can take all, take you with all kinds of problems. But dear friends, you've got to be willing to go with him and do it his way. Now, I know that raises some questions. Hang on. I'll get to them, and especially next week. See, you got to come back. We're going we to hook you. And you say, man, don't leave me hanging there. Come back. But I'm going to answer some even today. All right. 
Where am I at? Verse 5. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. I cannot imagine a more strongly worded sentence than that right there. Not only do you remove them from the membership, you deliver them to the enemy, to the devil. You say, Lloyd, what in the world does that even mean? Okay, are you listening? Stay with me here. It's good stuff. Boy, I feel like I'm in the deep end of the pool trying to claw my way out. The church, a local body of believers, for all the people that are here that call it their church home, the church provides an umbrella of protection for you from the curse and the judgment of sin. Did you know that? Yes, you go to the Lord individually, but being a part of a church, God in a miraculous, sometimes natural, many times supernatural way, protects you and puts you under the umbrella and the protection of that church. It shields you from some of, some of the effects of sin. Paul says, are you with me still? to remove that umbrella of protection from this guy so that he will experience the pain of his sin. What you sow, you reap. And he will experience the consequences of what he's doing and the pain of what he's doing in hopes that he will see the seriousness of it and turn back to the Lord. And Paul draws here imagery from the Passover in a couple of these verses. And he's going to kind of bring it up repeatedly. How many of you remember the Passover? Okay, let me tell you something about that. Make an application here. God had told a country, Egypt, because of their persistent rebellion to the Lord, and he said, look, and he gave them 10 different big opportunities. If you don't get this right and you don't come to me and let my people go, then I am going to send my death angel on a given night. And every firstborn in your house or in the stalls is going to die. Every one of them. But there were also a group of about 3 million people named the Jews who were living in Egypt. And they too, folks, were sinners. Amen? They were sinners. And the Lord said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a lamb. Several million people. Who knows how many homes. I want you to take an innocent lamb and you cut its throat. And you let the blood flow. And you take one of these hyssop branches. It's kind of like a natural paintbrush. And you dip it in there and you get it really bloodied up. And you go outside, outside the door of your house. And you paint that blood all over it. And then you get inside. And when I see that blood, I'll pass over you. And you, nobody will die. That's how we got the word Passover. And the death angel won't enter it. Now think about that image. Inside the house, under the blood with Jesus, you're safe. But outside the house, you're exposed to the death angel. So Paul is saying, in the same way, put this person outside the house so that they're exposed to this death angel and the curses of sin, and maybe, just maybe, by God's grace, when they start to experience the devastation that this world can give them, they'll come back. This is what he says you're to do with someone, are you listening, 
this next statement is vital. This is what he said you do with someone in the church who names the name of Christ, but persist, key word, in stubborn, willful, rebellious sin. You got it? That's what he says. Now let's be clear. This kind of thing only happens after every other attempt at reconciliation has been made. You understand that? Say amen. Okay. If you don't see me later, honestly, see me later. If you don't understand that part. But after every other attempt at reconciliation has been made and rejected, do you go to this length? Now, if you, if you got your Bible, if you'd hold 1 Corinthians 5 and turn quickly to Matthew 18, turn back to Matthew 18. Jesus is going to tell us the process to get to that point. Hopefully that it will stop somewhere in between. Are you there? Matthew 18, we'll begin in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, a lot of translations leave off, by the way, against you. If your brother is sinning, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So what would step one be? Private correction. Private correction. Folks, this is pretty simple right here. Amen. Go to them. And talk to them. Don't text them. Seriously, don't email them. Don't call them. Don't tweet them. Go to them and tell them what they're doing. I mean, it's got to be something they're doing that's blatant. That's just out there. And you, and you know it's destroying them and hurting people around them in the church. And by the way, it says go there alone. Do you know what that word alone means in the Greek? Alone. You don't take somebody with you. You go by them by yourself. And wouldn't it be great if that's where it ends? They say, yep, you know what? You're right. What I'm doing is wrong. And I'm going to get it corrected. But if they don't. We go to verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. What is this step? Small group. Clarification. Small group clarification. If they don't listen to you and they persist in what they're doing, you take a couple of people with you. Why? So that everything, so that one, what you're saying is happening, they can say, yep, we know that, you're right, and it's hurting the church. And that the other person can say, you know what, more than one person knows I'm doing this. What do you do if they don't? The small group, they said, get out of here, don't care. Number th verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So what is step three? Church admonition. This is where your elders, this is where the leaders would get involved. If they don't want to listen to that small group that went, then the elders in a more official capacity warn them of the seriousness of what they're doing. Verse 17b, well, what if that doesn't work? And if he refuses to listen even to the church, the leaders, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So what is step four? Church exclusion. While you're writing that down, let me tell you. This is where you remove them from the church membership. And you put them outside the house of the protection and the umbrella of the church. And let the world beat them around a little bit. 
Now, are you listening? Please listen. Some of you may agree with this, some of you may not. They are still welcome to come to church and sit in church. Listen, I imagine every church, every Sunday's got some unbelievers sitting in there. They're welcome to come and sit in church, but not in the capacity of a family member. And that's why if we were to take the Lord's Supper, we always say, the Bible says, this man Paul, in the same book, Corinthians, later, will say, examine yourself, ask yourself if there's something you're doing that you're persistent, you shouldn't be doing it. It's a sin that you know that God's convicted you of it over and over and you won't, you haven't stopped. He says, look, either get it right or don't take communion. Because he said, what can happen is if you take communion, you're eating and drinking judgment, damnation on yourself. And that could be pretty serious. In fact, he said, because of this, some of you that are doing this are sick and some are dead. Now, go back to 1 Corinthians 5. Paul describes what this kind of looks like of what Jesus said in Matthew 18. So flip back there. Let's look at verse 10. Anyone who bears the name of brother, if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. He's talking here about, I believe, the Lord's Supper, the fellowship of communion. Why? Because, folks, we don't want to imply that God is okay with what they're doing. Amen? And that could happen. You don't want to do that. Now, Again, if you, if you look at those, that list, he's talking about severity, revilers, people that, that are just causing unbelievable dissension in a church, and it's, it's tearing, tearing them apart, or an idolater. Well, we, we kind of know what that is, what it was back then. We don't have it that same way today. Or a drunkard, we know what that is. We know, we know what that looks like. Or a swindler. If someone were swindling people in the church, he says, don't, don't have communion with them. And he says, there's four reasons that we're to do this, these four steps that we just went over. There's four reasons, he said, to do this. But before I give those to you next week, let me take time out and close with just a couple of things I want to be clear on. Are you with me? First, when we're talking about taking action by a church, we're talking about someone who defiantly persists in something that is blatantly unbiblical. Do you have that? We're not talking about somebody that overeats and we tell them all the sin of gluttony or somebody that's prideful. Listen, I know that sin is sin before God. Amen? Sin is sin. But we do have to understand, and the Bible is very plain, some sins are more blatant than others. Are you with me on that? There are some things, I mean, so don't, you know, somebody that's living like, if this guy living like he was living, say, well, you can't do that to me because so-and-so, they're full of pride. Doesn't work that way. I know it sounds like a good excuse, but it doesn't work that way. I've told you this before. The Bible says that to hate someone is a sin, right? It says thou shalt not kill, right? And then Jesus said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I say that if you hate somebody, You've already committed murder in your heart. All right? But let me tell you something. I would rather you sin 
by hating me than sin by murdering me. Makes a big difference to me, that kind of sin. And secondly, in a church like this that has hundreds of people coming, this kind of a public exclusion of them from the fellowship only needs to be known by those that are involved. Meaning, I'm not going to get up here on Sunday and tell hundreds of people who don't even know them what's going on. Amen? Um, so next week, I'll tell you why we're to remove people who are willfully, defiantly, blatantly, persistently sinning like this. I want to just say thank God of all the times that I've had to do this. The majority have gotten mad at me because I was like the first one to go, you know, go by yourself. So I would go by myself and they would get mad at me and leave, you know, so over, done. But there's been three in 42, 43 years. One in Colorado, two here. That when I sat down with and talked with in tears, and they said, You know what, you're right. I need to get this right. Even had one man that said, It ends today. What I've been doing ends today, not, not tomorrow, today. And said, Can I use your phone? And got on the phone and called someone and said, it ends today. It can be done. And boy, the blessing, that was like 15 years ago. And they're still serving God today. So Lord, we thank you for the privilege. It's been hard today, Lord. I'm glad this is over. It's something, Lord, that we just don't naturally talk about, but we should. The world sees enough of the church acting like the world, agreeing with the world, going along with the world, that what they want to do is okay. And we do need to show them differently. Yes, we love unconditionally. Yes, our hearts break. And we love people in a way that no one else can. Those that don't care about their soul, willing to just let them do whatever they want to do. But we care about their eternity. So help us, each of us, to digest what we heard today and apply it in our life. In Christ we pray, amen. Let's stand together. All to Jesus Thank you. I'll try to hug you next week. Can't do it today. Don't want to get this to you. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon.